Dirty Bird Podcast contains foul language and is not appropriate for young fledglings. Listener discretion is advised. Our intro music is brought to you by Ricky Pistone, aka Dick Piston. And our outro music is brought to you by the Sidewalk Slammers. Check them out wherever you get your music. Are you looking for a podcast today? With ornithology and humor you crave? Well, I know all these guys and it's birds they like. It's Dirty Bird. Yeah, they're just a couple guys who really like birds. It's Dirty Bird. Yeah, they're pretty dirty, but they really like birds. Let's, do you want to do a quick cheers? cheers? Take a sip and then we'll... Hello, and welcome to Dirty Bird. I'm John, and I am with some awesome guests today, my good friends Chance and Sarah. Hello. Hi. Chance, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Well, as John so eloquently put it, my name is Chance. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know much about birds, but I've been friends with John for the past couple years, and I do know a lot about sports teams whose mascots are birds so so might throw who, who in, do we have uh, named after the jays here sports team wise the yeah. toronto blue jays there we go <laughs> who might get might throw in some random facts along the way so any sports fans out there brace yourselves <laughs> i don't know if there's much overlap with our very small audience but... yeah I... <laughs> sports enthusiasts and ornithologists <laughs> one in the same <laughs> Uh, Chance, uh, I don't know if you mentioned that you're in med school with me. Yes. that's We're currently on a wilderness medicine rotation, and we are recording from a nice little rustic cabin in New River Gorge, West Virginia. Definitely plenty of blue jays around here. Um, I've definitely noticed them out on my walks and runs and while we're outside building wilderness shelters to survive the night. Um, and Sarah is also in our med school class, yeah. and these two met in med school and are now... Going to be married, Sid. She made the biggest mistake of her life. (laughs) (laughs) So So far. Yeah, so far. Her next biggest mistake is recording an episode of Dirty Bird Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So, Sarah, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. Um, My name's Sarah. Like John was saying, I'm in school with these guys. I am a bird enthusiast, while I also am a fan of some sports birds. Go Eagles. (laughs) Um... I worked at the Carnegie Museum of Natural History in the section of birds uh, as a work study when I was in college. And while I was there, I did a lot of uh, specimen cataloging, uh, some taxidermying, actually, and some um, plotting and data points on GIS for some research purposes, migratory patterns, things like that. So that all sounds boring. Tell us about <laughs> what, what was that story you're telling about the like the dead, all the dead birds or something like that. Yeah, so I was just talking about how these museums, what you don't see whenever you go, you know, to the museum for a visit is that they have these giant back storage rooms, just huge mm-hmm. drawers of every bird you could think of, just dead, you know, dead stuffed birds laying in like drawers. Like the skins yeah. of them or, or yeah. are they actually taxidermied? Some of them are actually taxidermied. Then there are also skins that are semi kind of stuffed. 
There are also skeletons, wings, eggs, you name it. There's any kind of data point. We had everything, you know, as big as an ostrich to, you know, the smallest little oh, hummingbirds. Wow. So it was just kind of, we were really hanging cool. out in the big dead bird room. <laughs> <laughs> Very peaceful place. <laughs> I would love to just like... It sounds morbid, but love to just like dig around in those bird drawers and oh, like yeah. see them all up close. It That's awesome. so cool. Some of the it's birds really cool. they they went and collected them just as far as back, even in the 1800s. Yeah. So part of me is wondering, oh, did they use a little bit of arsenic when they're preparing? Who knows? Oh, Whatever. Oh yeah. Just wash my hands. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> we use borax now. So <laughs> the stuff that we kill ants with. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Didn't you do some taxidermy too? I did. I did. Did you ever taxidermy a bird? I did. I um, I taxidermied uh, a couple ducks, and oh, like mallards or yes, yeah. Um, and then uh, I taxidermied um, an owl, and I'm trying to remember what kind of owl it was. I think it might have just been like a, a spotted owl. It, w- it was a little guy. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah, it, it, that was one skill that it, that was an interest, really interesting skill to learn on a work study job in college. My boss, uh, Steve Rogers, taught taught me all about that. And Captain America. <laughs> Captain America. <laughs> he loved Captain America. Him and uh, he had one long taxidermy fingernail. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh! Kind of like a coke nail, yeah. except uh, oh yeah. Oh, that's what you call. <laughs> oh, it's my it, taxidermy it's his, nail. It was his taxidermy. Oh. And, you Likely So every Friday morning mm-hmm. in college, I show up at the museum. We we go backstage. We we slice up some some birds. We you know um, threw the meat in with the flesh eating beetles they had on the oh roof of the museum, and wow. we prepared the specimen, the tags, and yeah. So there might be an owl or two in the museum of natural history in Pittsburgh, done by yours truly. <laughs> well, that is awesome, Sarah. Thank you yeah. so much. Today we are going to be talking about blue jays. And um, please interject anything that kind of reminds you of, I don't know, comparative anatomy or whatever else with, uh, with the, the Blue Jays. Oh, um, boy. <laughs> Chance is like, I just want to rattle off some sports statistics over here. We like sports and we don't care. <laughs> I decided to do the Blue Jay for this episode. Um, one, because it's a very intelligent, very common, very interesting, conspicuous bird. And also because of Joe, who's also in my med school class. Joe. Yeah. Shout out to Joe. Hope you're listening. Who um, uh, suggested that I do an episode about jays and their tool use. Um, He mentioned green jays especially, which are down in South America. Um, But blue jays also use tools too, so I'll talk about those. And maybe I'll do an episode in the future that is just kind of more about the family corvids and crows and tools and everything. But today we're talking about the blue jay. Its um, scientific name is Cyanocida cristata. And so that name cristata means crested in Latin, obviously, referring to its crest. And then the Cyanocida, it only contains two species. It contains the blue jay, and then also it contains its closest relative, the Stellar's jay, which is out west. Basically, kind of the Rocky Mountains kind of split the Stellar's jay and the blue jay and like kind of cause them to diverge and um, okay. turn into different species. Well, what's the difference between the two? Well, they have some pretty striking morphological differences. They they look very similar, like, body type-wise, but, like, uh, the Stellar's J, um, Chance is looking in our handy-dandy 1930s yeah. um, National Geographic book, 
And the Stellar's J has that same blue color, but it has a kind of black head to it. Whereas our blue J kind of has some black markings, but is mostly blue on the head. He also looks angry in this picture. He does look angry. He's very angry. But, I, but he looks awesome. I like him. Well, we will talk about the moods of jays. They can be very ornery birds, as oh. they would say out here in West Virginia. Very ornery. But the um, Cyanocida, the way that that um, genus name kind of comes up is uh, it's a combination of the Greek word kuanos for dark blue and kitta, which is Greek for like a chattering bird, which is what they would call the jay. Uh, which is very fitting because it's a very vocal bird. You hear it all the time. And then they are in the family Corvidae, which contains our crows, our ravens, magpies, jackdaws. And those are birds that we know for intelligence. So, And they're found worldwide. They're a very successful family. So we know that the blue jay is going to be an intelligent bird since it's in this Corvidae family. Um, a general description of the blue jay, if you don't live in North America, it's a pretty large bird. It's uh, bigger than a robin, smaller than a crow. It's got this blue, white, black coloring to it and a nice crest. Um, do you want to describe it at all, Chance? You're looking at a very nice drawing uh, in our National Geographic book. Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, so the blue jay has a very nice light blue back, almost sky blue, but on its belly, as John was describing, it's very white. The white of the belly goes the whole way up, up into the face. And I'm not sure the exact terminology here, John, but it, his, uh, yeah, it almost has yeah. like these eye lines, yeah, like eye a col- lines. I think I would call that a collar, like yes. black collar, black eye lines. And actually very interestingly that the black markings on Blue Jay's face will vary from individual to individual. It's actually mm-hmm. how they recognize each other. Oh, okay. Uh, kind of like how, you know, we recognize each other's faces. I'm sure each Blue Jay looks at each human and is like, oh, they all look the same. And we probably look at each Blue Jay and think, oh, they look the same. But they can tell each other apart by those black facial markings. Gotcha. Yeah, so, but like I said, one of the striking differences in the pictures between, as John was talking about, the Stellar Jay, is the Blue Jay looks much lighter in color mm-hmm. compared to the Stellar Jay. The Stellar Jay looks much darker. And I really like the mosaic it kind of yes. has on its wings and its tail. It's so cool. And if you ever find feathers of Blue Jays, they're some of my favorite because it's such a cool pattern on them. And Looking at the feather, you would never be able to guess how the bird actually looks. But when the feathers are all put together, it really forms this cool, almost stained glass looking mm-hmm. pattern. It's it's pretty awesome. It almost looks like it could be like a butterfly pattern. Yeah, no, yeah, it really does. Those, yeah, those um, blue like tiger swallowtails look yeah. similar to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're a bird of the woodlands and forest edges, which is why we see them so much. Because, um, you know, they'll come into suburban environments maybe even venture into cities sometimes. Uh, We see them around fields a lot, too. Um, They'll go on the ground, they'll be in trees, and then they're very vocal. You'll hear them calling a lot, doing like their jeer call or their jay call a lot. Uh, Their range is in the eastern U.S., up into Canada, over to the Midwest. They kind of stop around the Rocky Mountains. That's kind of their barrier. And then they uh, go down um, south to um, kind of into eastern Texas. Sorry so, to interject. No, this you're is fine. kind of just touching back on um, general appearance and things like that. I know with different, a lot of different species of birds, the females are often a lot more um, 
know, muted in color. Um, they're definitely less vibrant. But is am I right in thinking that the the blue jays are one of the few where the females are actually pretty brightly colored as well? Yeah. So blue jays, the female and male are pretty much the same in coloration, as far as I could tell. The males tend to be larger than the females. Of course, that varies based on their ages. Like an older female is going to be larger than a young male, like in his first year. But it's very, very hard to tell male versus female blue jays. Uh, A lot of people that I read, they said the only way they could tell is if like they literally watched the female all in nest. Anyway, so that's kind of our intro to the Blue Jay here. Um, Chance, Sarah, what what do you guys want me to talk about? What do you want to know about the Blue Jay? Well, I would love to know your opinion on the ALDS game. I believe it was 2015 where Jose Batista bat flipped after he hit a home run. How do you feel about the bat flip, John? Is that aggressive? Too much? Or was it perfect for the moment? I played the fifth. (laughs) Was this a blue Trick jay? question. <laughs> it was way too aggressive, and I hate you, Jose Batista. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, am a little bit of a, an evolution nerd uh, that was part of my major in college. So maybe a little bit about the evolution and history, evolutionary history no, of the I, blue jay. I agree. All right. Let's do it. Let's talk about the evolutionary history. So, um, Sarah, if I tell you that kind of the Corvid family evolved about 28.3 million years ago. Sarah luckily has opened in front of her my geological ages, um, telling the different ages. So what age is that that we're in? About 28, about 30 million years ago? Where are we at? Yeah, we're about in the um, oh, Oligocene. Yeah, Oligocene? Yeah. Okay, so we're in the Oligocene um, 30 million years ago. Where do you think Corvids first started developing at? Where in the world? Oof. I don't know. I I would guess maybe closer to the equator. Hmm. I'm not sure. I don't know. So, um... Maybe Europe. <laughs> maybe Europe. All right, so we got Europe. We got the equator. <laughs> Very <laughs> insightful How about Canada? guesses here. <laughs> so Corvid split off from... Um, there's kind of two big groups of birds, evolutionary. There's sub-Ossenes and Ossenes. Ossines are like the songbirds that we know, and sub-Ossines are kind of more um, like ground bird. Um, and they originated in like the proto-Americas. And then our Ossines, our songbirds, they originated in Australia, actually. Uh-huh. Um, and corvids are split off of that group. Um, but instead of evolving on like proto, like that uh, Australia back in the Oligocene, they actually appear to have evolved on the island of Papua. You know, like oh, Papua, Papua New, New Guinea. Guinea. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So, yeah, during like the mid tertiary period um, of the Oligocene, Papua New Guinea was actually colliding, it was um, drifting northwards and colliding with the continental plate of South Asia, which was making it kind of rise up out of the ocean more. And that uh, was driving a lot of different changes on the island. And then there were a lot of other uh, archipelago islands popping up, which really drove like a lot of evolutionary change. Hmm. Early corvids were thought to have kind of evolved in this constantly changing environment. And they evolved their intelligence, their uh, feeding strategy, and their group behaviors all on like early Papua New Guinea, basically. 
their bill is allowed for a generalist feeding strategy. So like mm-hmm. you'll see blue jays and, and you'll see crows do this kind of stuff too. They'll hop on the ground and eat. They'll mm-hmm. be in trees eating. So they can kind of like eat whatever and wherever. They're very adaptable to different um, areas. And I, then I hate to interrupt. Yeah, for, for someone with limited bird knowledge such as myself, what other birds besides crows and blue jays are in the corvid family? Or are those the two main ones? So crows, ravens, magpies, jackdaws. There's a a pretty good amount of birds in the corvid family. Interestingly enough, before corvid like evolved as a family, some other birds that split off right near there were like orioles split off near there, which I know Chance, you're a big Orioles fan. Yes, hence my hatred for the Toronto Blue Jays. (laughs) And also Shrikes, too, passed uh, split off kind of early on when the Corvids were differentiating, too. And Shrikes, of course, are those little tiny birds that are like our smallest kind of predatory birds. They're tiny, they're like, look really cute, but they will like kill you. (laughs) So there was obviously a lot of evolutionary pressure on these islands because they evolved really smart brains. They evolved to be very sociable, to communicate with each other, to form like these family bands, and then to basically eat anything that they can find. We think that actually the most common corvid ancestor was very blue jay-like. And then crows and ravens um, evolved kind of later off of that kind of blue jay model. Um, The archipelago around Papua New Guinea allowed them to disperse. They went both to Australia and then they also went up to mainland Asia. And then from there, they pretty much conquered the world. I mean, corvids are everywhere except Antarctica. It's really cool um, because this is one of the few examples of a colonizer coming from an island and then colonizing True. like mainland you mostly think like things evolving on like continents and then mm. going to islands um we have some fossils of corvids the earliest fossil we have dates from the mid miocene that's about 17 million years ago it's called myocorvus of course miocene myocorvus <laughs> um larteti and it was found in sanson france it looks a lot like a magpie, jay, and a crow kind of smashed together. Um, so you can kind of see the early, like, corvid um, family forming. So, once again, I, I think you already touched upon it. You were describing the beaks. Mm-hmm. But what separates corvid physiologically from other birds? Yeah, so um, part of it is that they have a kind of ground feeding strategy where they'll land on the ground and kind of hop around and feed. Mm-hmm. They have like a very straight beak. Um, if, if you look at corvids, yeah. the blue jay, it's not as long as like in the crow or the raven, mm-hmm. but they kind of have like a straight long beak. And this is good for picking seeds from the ground, picking insects. And then if they're up in a tree, gleaning insects from the branches Uh, So they can do, or they can eat fruits, they can eat nuts, they can do a lot of things with that beak. It's not like, you know, like a hummingbird, its beak is highly specialized. Yeah. Like the hummingbird's really, really, really good at eating, you know, flower nectar, Mm -hmm. but like would be terrible at everything else. And with the corvids, they're kind of okay at doing a lot of things. They're not like specialized to do one thing. And that has helped them be able to spread because then they can go somewhere and they're like, oh, like, there's a lot of acorns here, not a lot of bugs, but eh, I can eat the acorns. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. It appears that um, kind of the jays, as we know them, developed a lot in, like, Europe, Asia, like Eurasia, and then they crossed the Bering Land Bridge to the United States, or to North America, uh, about 11 million years ago. 
we think that they came in just a few waves. Uh, there's kind of some debate about that, whether it was kind of one invasion or multiple. But most likely, it appears, surprisingly, so you'd think like the Bering Strait, you know, that's like Alaska connected mm-hmm. over to Siberia. You'd think like yeah. they would come into Alaska, they would like spread into like Canada or like the northern, you know, like whatever's closest. It actually appears what they did is they came in and then they just traveled down along the western coast all the way down into Mesoamerica. Oh. And then they chilled in Mesoamerica for a while and differentiated and then from there, they spread out. Basically. Is there a theory as to why that happened? So, because when they came in during the Miocene, which was about like, let's see, I said 11 million years ago, there was probably a lot of like glaciation events going on within. Uh-huh. Uh, so there probably wasn't really hospitable environment in the rest of North America. So instead, they spread along the coast, which was more mild, which was wooded. And so they were able to kind of spread down that way. But using mitochondrial and nuclear intron analysis, uh, it we can show that they differentiated Mesoamerica, and then they spread both to North America and South America from there. The Panama land bridge was formed about 2.8 million years ago, but there were kind of like islands before that. So that really helped them spread down to South America. But pretty much once the glaciers kind of started retreating a little bit, they were able to invade um, into North America a lot. And we actually think that jays were instrumental in, in spreading oak trees after the glaciers receded. Because pretty much the glaciers receded, there's like nothing. And jays love acorns, and they also love to store acorns, kind of like how squirrels do. And so we think that they kind of stored uh, acorns a lot in these areas that the glaciers receded and kind of helped oak forest spread. There's a fossil called um, Myacita galbrethi, which is found in Pawnee Creek in Colorado. And it's a really early jay fossil. It's dating from about the late Miocene, so like anywhere from 11 to 5 million years ago. And then also there was a fossil found in Riddick, Illinois. And that one dated from as recently as 2 million years ago during the Pleistocene. And that's when like a lot of glaciation change was happening. So there's definitely a lot of bird migration going on during that Pleistocene era where they're just coming up from Middle America and spreading out to these new territories opened up. The uh, One Zoom Tree of Life, which is what I kind of use to date a lot of... uh, my bird species differentiation. It has the blue jay splitting off from the Stellar's jay, its most common ancestor, about 8.42 million years ago. Mm-hmm. Other close relatives are the pinion jay, which is um, in Western America, the Mexican jay, in Mexico, of course, <laughs> and then the unicolor jay, which is in Central America. So that unicolor, unicolor. jay is like probably like more closely related to the common you know, ancestor that was chilling in Middle America and Central America. Is it blue in color? I mean, that sounds like a silly question. Oh, unicolor. Unicolor jays are um, just that really kind of like a deep, beautiful shade of blue. Pretty much just all over. I mean, there's some hues of black, um, definitely. But, you know, you don't get as much of the white as you do with the blue jay that we see around here. So most of these corvids nowadays are either black or blue and not very light colored as it would seem yeah so yeah that's um pretty much how blue jays kind of evolved in uh, north america and everything um interestingly enough uh apparently 
the jays that we have in the new world because there are jays over in the old world like in europe and asia and everything um apparently the new world jays have kind of this distinctive jaw that separates them from all the other old world jays if you look at oh. the, their fossil or their uh, bone structure they're very um, handsome brad pitt <laughs> they got, yeah, they got that like nice ju- strong jaw <laughs> um so obviously whatever common ancestor that came over from siberia long ago had this jaw <laughs> Um, and you the know, iron jaw yeah. used for crushing the skulls of their enemies. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it worked out for them. There's blue jays yeah. freaking everywhere. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's our evolution. What else do you guys want to know about? Well, I think that's a good transition point. I know Sarah's joking about crushing the skulls of the their enemies, but I see here a note by you, John, that says the blue jays were vicious killers. Yes. So, so yeah. So you will see this a lot. You'll hear people talk about this. They'll be like, blue jays kill baby birds or blue jays eat eggs. And there's a lot of talk about this. And I will say there's a little bit of truth to this, but I think that blue jays get a bad rep. So um, I'll start off talking about this going back to John James Audubon. Of course. Our good friend John James Audubon. Of course, household name. Yeah, yeah, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, he was a naturalist from like the 1800s and kind of was instrumental in categorizing a lot of our North American birds, painting some some very beautiful paintings of them. But um, his painting of the blue jay, he shows three blue jays. And they're robbing eggs from a nest of a trumpet flower plant. It's not specified what um, bird nest they're raiding. But they're eating the eggs. One blue jay is even opening up an egg and dripping the yolk down onto another one to lap up. Oh. Yeah, so it's kind of displaying, like, their cooperative nature. But also, like, you know, showing them as nest robbers. Yeah. And and a lot of the time, you know, I, I hear that kind of thing. The first thing that jumps into my mind are the cowbirds and how just they're these awful brood parasites and they'll swindle the other birds into going in and then, you know, they'll and raise their young. young and, yeah. and I just, you know, I, I never really thought of blue jays like that. It doesn't seem like it's quite that bad. Yeah. So blue jays don't do the brood parasitism the way that the cowbirds do, but yeah, they're always known as like eating other birds, eggs and stuff like that. Um, and in all the readings I've done on this, uh, especially like the older ones from like the 1800s or early 1900s, they really anthropomorphize the blue jay, you know, like they'll project onto them like, you know, they're evil or wicked and stuff like that. And, you know, it's problematic to think of an animal like that. But so so do they do those things? Do- so, yes, they do do <laughs> okay. it. They do do it, but I think it's overblown. So let me keep up with the historical context here. <laughs> so, like, John James Audubon, he, even though in the beginning of his description of the Blue Jays, he says that um, he he writes, Look at the plate in which are represented three individuals of this beautiful species, rogues they be, and thieves, as I would call them, were it fit for me to pass judgment on their actions. So he's kind of like, oh, I can't pass judgment on animals. But then he goes on to say, he is more tyrannical than brave, and like most boasters, dominates over the feeble. Oh, okay. In, so, so no judgment, but definitely yeah. judgment. In many cases, he is a downright coward. Oh, oh. 
Now he's resorting to name calling. That's yeah, rude. So he really emphasizes the aggression and egg stealing of the Blue Jays. He tells a story about a friend who put a flying squirrel in a cage with a Blue Jay, and then the next morning found the flying squirrel partially eaten. Oh my gosh! Yeah, he also tells a story about an aviary in Charleston where they had all these birds in there, um, and including Blue Jays, and they couldn't figure out why birds kept dying. They thought it was like rats, and so they killed all these rats. They thought it was like uh, all these other things and they finally realized like the blue jays were the ones killing the birds it's that iron jaw, that iron <laughs> the, jaw. the jaw to kill their enemies they're just the <laughs> jack of all trades it sounds like they're pretty good at eating up anything they want to pretty much yeah i was gonna say so i know you you kind of touched upon earlier they they thrive because of their beaks and being able the to generalist eat. behavior yeah and they could eat almost anything so is it possible that they just killed other birds that's why they made it is that something anyone's researched so i think that definitely probably factors into their evolution i think that factors into like the generalist um feeding strategy of them i mean they'll eat insects they'll eat seeds they'll eat fruits um acorns are a particular love of them but they will eat um meat when they are given the chance they will eat eggs when they're given the chance i will say though um to kind of fight back against this you know blue jays as killers um (laughs) there was a study that collected 530 blue jays and dissected their stomachs and their intestines and only six of those blue jays contained traces of eggs or nestlings and it says that they did a pretty extensive search too so, I mean, six out of 530, like, that's a pretty small amount. So I, I do actually think this thing's kind of overblown a little bit. Just kind of perpetuated from storytelling. I mean, that's know. pretty... Uh, I'll go on to tell some other stories, too, which might change your mind. <laughs> but, um, well, nothing's going to change my mind. I already hate Blue Jays. I mean, <laughs> come on. I mean, Vlad Guerrero Jr., he looks great and all, but... I need to get you for the Orioles um, episode oh, because oh, when, when I when I cover the Baltimore Orioles, you are going to be singing its praises. Oh, you have no idea! I love the Orioles. Beautiful <laughs> bird, beautiful team. Just go O's all the way. Hey, go O's! That's, <laughs> I'm I'm about that. I yes. love sports teams named after birds. I'm yes. all about it. That's what I'm talking about. Audubon also tells a story too about a friend who was grouse hunting. Check out our episode on the rough grouse, the state bird of Pennsylvania. Represent, um, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> these guys are from uh, Pennsylvania over here. Chanson's hair, but he tells a story about he shot a wounded uh, a grouse, and the wounded grouse kind of you know was trying to get away into the brush, and then he heard a bunch of blue jays freak out and went and found the grouse, and the grouse had his eyes pecked out. Oh my goodness! So these are yeah. crazy stories. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> for such a tiny bird, I never would have expected. <laughs> yes. Wow. So, like I said, that whole six out of, what, 530 or something Mm -hmm. were the the only ones with the, um, you know, nestlings or eggs in their stomach. However, there are some pretty striking stories about Blue Jays killing stuff. So, a lot of the stuff I read um, is about Blue Jays killing house sparrows. And actually, I'm okay with this because house sparrows are an invasive species. But apparently, they really hate house sparrows. Um, (laughs) um, Chance, in front of you... Yes. That National Geographic yes. book. Um, uh-huh. Somewhere around here, he talks about them killing house sparrows. Um, but also, I read a article called A Bloodthirsty Blue Jay from 1899 in the Wilson Bulletin. And it tells a story about there's these house sparrows flying around and they get too close to a blue jay nest. 
And the Blue Jay darts out at one of the house sparrows and pecks it and knocks it to the ground. And then he writes, the Jay dropped on it and seized it as a dog does a rat and began to shake it viciously. The other sparrows watching the performance in speechless amazement. So <laughs> they apparently really don't like house sparrows and will shake them like no. a dog. Um, <laughs> to quote Monsters, Inc. Uh, <laughs> I also read an article in 2009 in Nacogdoches, Texas. Um, two U.S. forest workers saw a blue jay violently pecking a bird on the ground. It had it pinned to the ground with its feet. And it was kind of like helplessly flapping while the blue jay pecked at its head. They flushed the blue jay so that they could identify the injured bird. And the blue jay kind of moved uh, back and they went up and looked at the bird and it was a cedar waxwing. And they said that it had severe injuries to its head. And then they moved back again. And immediately when they moved back, the blue jay swooped back down and began pecking again at the cedar waxwing. A car drove by, and this scared the jay. The jay picked up the waxwing in its beak and laboriously flew into the air about four meters and then dropped the bird to the ground. And then they said the jay swooped back down and began eating the waxwing. Man. Jeez. Okay, but here's where what I kind of want to know is, from my understanding, these are really territorial birds. So these sparrows, your cedar waxwings, it's... It's, were these unprovoked attacks or were they just being extraterritorial? So the forest workers do mention that they don't know. They did not see the attack happen. They only stumbled across it when... Now, waxwings are like the partiers of the bird world. They're known for getting drunk on like fermented berries yeah, and stuff like that. So it's possible the cedar waxwing was like stumbling around drunk and the blue jay yeah. was like, that's an easy meal right there and <laughs> swooped down and ate it. Um, and then possibly with the house sparrows, you know, house sparrows are, you know, they're kind of like immigrant birds here. They don't really know the ways and it's possible they just kind of break some social norms, get too close to the blue jay nest. And then the blue jays are like, all right, I'm done with you. I'm eating you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's what I do to anybody who comes too close to me. (laughs) I mean, in in an apocalyptic scenario, I'm putting my money on a blue jay to make it. There you go. I, All right. I mean, that's, I, that's what I'm taking away. So, yeah. So the best I can tell you about the Blue Jays is there is some truth to the, uh, uh, you know, the bad rep they get. But it's certainly not their main lifestyle choice. Like, Well, okay. We're talking about all these potentially bad things about Blue Jays and how they defend themselves. But are, what, what are their family lives like if you will do they have a mate for life do they travel in packs like what are they defending here yeah so blue jays um they do form uh long-lasting monogamous relationships they're very vocal communicative birds they have like as many as 42 different calls Mm -hmm. and then those calls they vary them in like their intensity or their pitch or their situation. So there's kind of some argument that Blue Jays do have a language, that they do have uh, a vocabulary and that they do communicate with each other. And anytime you like go on a walk in the woods or even like in a backyard suburban environment and you see a group of Blue Jays move through, they seem like they're talking to each other and telling each other what's going on. I know I've heard, um, you know, I've read just about Blue Jays that a lot of the time that they'll mimic the sound of hawks and they're not a hundred percent sure you know why that might be but a lot of people might think 
oh, well, you know, they might be trying to convince other birds that there's a hawk in the area and that can, you know, protect their nest or try to find themselves out if there, you know, if there's a hawk in the area. They do do that. They uh, will have been documented where they'll mimic a hawk to try to scare birds away from a feeder. And, and they'll do a pretty good job of mimicking like a red-tailed hawk. And the birds will fly away from the feeder, allowing the blue jay to swoop in and eat. But the other birds are smart, too. Once they see the blue jay move in, they're like, oh, oh like it's okay. this guy again. Mr. They, Strongjaw over here. Yeah, Mr. Strongjaw just trying yeah. to scare us away. It, they also have been recorded making, imitating sounds of predators when they see that predator. So, like, if they're in the woods and a hawk comes around, they will make the sound of a hawk. Mm -hmm. And it's not sure whether they are trying to confuse the predator by, like, mimicking its sound back to it. Or if they're, like, you know, the same way we would say, like, you know, lion. You know, like, if that, like, that's just their word for, like, the hawk is mm -hmm. they will imitate its call to warn the other blue jays around it, like, that there's a hawk. Fascinating. It's very smart. It's, it's very yeah. cool. And it definitely displays their intelligence. So, I'm just going to keep rattling off questions here, John. Keep it. Um, along with, you know, their lifestyle, if they mate monogamously, that kind of thing. How long do they live and how many times might they reproduce? So, kind of a little bit about their breeding. They, they form those long-lasting monogamous relationships. They form these bands of like 10 to 20 interrelated individuals. So, it's like these small little family groups that kind of hang out together. Uh, once they get too big, they'll kind of split into, into other groups. They don't breed, breed um, cooperatively. Some of their close relatives, Jays down in like South America, will um, breed cooperatively, meaning like oh. Jays will help raise each other's young and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, almost I like thought. a commune or something. Yeah. They won't breed cooperatively, but they will like help defend breed each other's nest and kind of defend each other's territory and help against predators. They start breeding like in March. They'll kind of form these party. It's called like parties of jays. They'll kind of all get together. They'll make a bunch of noise and like this tree. And it's kind of like a joint courtship ritual. And then also them forming like their territories. Sounds like a frat party. I know. I am. <laughs> it's like a frat party, except, you know, each one of them. Pair, you know, they, they go pair there. off. It's like it's less like a frat party and more like a date function. Yeah, speed dating. Speed yeah, dating. it's like okay. Well, no, it's not even speed dating because they already have their partnerships for the most part, but they just get together to kind of like make a bunch of noise and kind of like you know get all <laughs> reared up, have a good time, and then also tell the other couples like, hey, we're 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 going to build a nest in this tree. This is our tree. We're building it over here in this tree. And the other ones are yelling at them like, oh, yeah, well, that's our tree. And then they go off and they do their thing, but they still hang okay. out together and help each other out. I, I apologize. I only know this podcast is being Dirty Bird, so I had to go there. That's fine, uh, man. Keep it up. Throw a couple F-bombs in. You know, oh. I, got, I got to put the explicit rating on Spicy. this, so Ooh. fuck it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, they can recognize each other based off of, like, the subtle color variations on their head. They also have uh, distinct calls that they do. The male and female will build a nest together. As in, like, distinct calls to your mate? Yeah, yeah. And, like, we probably can't really tell it apart. I mean, in lab settings, they've no. been able to tell this. But, yeah, like, subtle variations. And, you know, the same way you can pick up the phone and even if your caller ID, you don't look at it, you can recognize someone else's voice. Um, you know, they can recognize the voice gotcha. of uh, their mate 
the male and female build the nest. It's kind of a loose, untidy nest of sticks, bark, and grass about 10 to 25 feet up, usually in an evergreen tree. I've noticed some a lot in hemlock trees here in West Virginia, which hopefully the hemlocks are still around with that. The what? woolly adelgid. Hemlock the woolly, woolly adelgid. adelgid. Yeah. Things are not looking good for the eastern hemlocks, folks. Although yeah. we have been seeing a lot of treated trees down here. Yep, mm-hmm. which is good. The female will lay about three to six eggs, and then usually she'll incubate them while the male will feed her. The eggs hatch in about 17 days. The nestlings are naked with eyes closed, and they have a red mouth lining. Oh. Um, the fledgings uh, will then, or the nestlings will then fledge in another 17 days. And as they get close to fledgling, they often wander from the nest. I kind of picture these, since they're intelligent birds, I kind of picture them as like teenagers, you know? They want to like, even though they're not ready yet, they kind of want to go off on their own and kind of run away. And this is when people kind of find an abandoned blue jay a lot of times. It's not really abandoned, it's just kind of wandering away from the nest. And so really the best thing to do is kind of just leave it alone or kind of like set it in a branch or something like that. That whole thing about if you touch a bird, it'll get abandoned, that's totally untrue. So, um, old wives' tale. But anyway, they continue to be dependent on their parents, though, for up to three months. So, this is like total millennial bird where it, it leaves a nest, it can fly, but like it's still hanging out with its parents for another three months. <laughs> it's like, just trying to figure itself out, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to art school. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, though, blue jays can breed their first year after hatching. Which, oh, wow. yeah, kind of, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a big bird. Usually is birds. Fast? Yeah, that is, that is kind of, I mean, my last episode I did was on the ospreys and they took like three years, you know. Oh. And granted, that's a very big bird. Um, a lot of like smaller songbirds, you know, they're ready to go like mm-hmm. right within a year yeah. or so. Um, it, I thought it was kind of cool just based off the size of the blue jay that they're ready to go in that first year. Also, interestingly, they molt only once a year. Most birds will molt in the fall, uh, kind of put on their winter coat, and then they'll molt again in the spring. Molting is when they like shed their feathers and grow new ones. Now, as um, a general question, you know, when it comes to global warming, at least with what I've seen, it's definitely happening up in the northeast here. Mm-hmm. The winters and seasons are getting kind of blended together. Do you, has there been any issues with birds and molting? And So um, a lot of bird species are moving uh, north. Just um, I, sp- oh, I spoke okay. about that on a cardinal episode. The cardinals are kind of moving farther and farther north as the climate gets warmer and warmer and warmer. And so are like uh, kind of Arctic species are able to move farther and farther north as kind of that Arctic zone kind of recedes and gets smaller and smaller with warming. So one day Pennsylvania might be considered the south for these birds. Hopefully not. Maybe. Maybe migrating, yeah, <laughs> south to Pennsylvania. They do definitely love Pennsylvania. Yeah. No, one thing, then that's kind of like their, you know, their range and where they can be. But as far as like the timing of the migration, um, that's, that's kind of triggered more by photo periods still, kind of like irrelevant of the climate. Is that right? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, birds usually use, like, the length of days um, for their migrations. Interestingly, though, um, blue jays, their migration is super weird. So, they are, like, a year-round resident. I mean, you'll go out in winter and there'll be blue jays, you know. You go out in summer and there's blue jays. So, they do migrate, but it's only about 20% of the population. It's usually the younger ones that will go migrate kind um, kind of finding their own way, you know. Maybe they're not... 
I mean, we talk about Blue Jays with these little family groups. Probably like the younger birds are not really fully integrated, like within the social circle with the yeah. uh, Blue Jays. So they kind of need to go out and kind of yeah. go be, south for senior week. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're going to yeah. bird college or whatever smoke during some the week. Yeah, like. You know, <laughs> they go, go to art school, man. I do yeah. some experimentation. They take some mushrooms, <laughs> yeah. have like a life-changing trip, yeah. and then they're like, okay, I'm ready to uh, go back, back and settle down and yeah. have a family. Uh, <laughs> but interestingly, their their migration has no real like rhyme or reason to it. Um, they'll go both north and south. They do tend to go like further north or west during the summer, um, you know, obviously as it warms, that makes those places more inviting. But um, some individuals will like migrate one year and then not migrate the next and then migrate the next. There's, it, it's pretty hard to, we've had a hard time kind of tracking them and recording a lot of this. But yeah, there's uh, a very weird migration pattern with them, probably, I think, mostly driven by kind of their little social circle that they have. And if they're not really fitting in, then they'll kind of move off. And um, probably food-driven, too. I assume there's probably a strict hierarchy with, like, food access. So, like, you know, if you're, like, the alpha male or the alpha female, you mm-hmm. get the food. And then if you're lower on that, then you're not getting as much food. And you're like, well, fuck this. I'm going to go fly off somewhere else. Yeah. I'm going to go poach some eggs from other birds. <laughs> <laughs> I- hey, John James Audubon. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're being non-judgmental here. <laughs> Um, as far as how their population is doing, there's about 13 million Blue Jays. 13% of those are in Canada. All the rest are in the United States. And they're actually decreasing. They've decreased by about 28% between 1966 and 2015. Now, have you heard anything about, um, you know, the West Nile virus? I know that that has been kind of impacting Corvids, you know, disproportionately. But I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not. Yes, um, blue jays are one of the birds that is heavily affected by West Nile virus. And actually, this population decrease, it's thought that it may be due to some outbreaks of West Nile virus. But the main thing is, drum roll please, habitat destruction, Aww. which seems to be, you know. What? Yeah. People Killing. don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> what? People just cutting down woods to build their freaking, you I know. I personally attacked. Giant. This is bullshit. <laughs> I want a well-manicured, totally bald yard. No yes. trees. No trees. Just grass. Just grass. Just imported grass. Well, it depends on what kind of grass, I guess. Uh, do do blue jays like weed fields? <laughs> I did not see a study on that. Well, I'm going back to college, I guess. <laughs> So some other, um, I'll kind of loop back to John James Audubon again, Um, just kind of some interesting things with him and Blue Jays. He actually tried to introduce Blue Jays to England. He brought 25 over in a boat uh, to try to ship them over and release them in England. He was a freaking Eugene um, Schieffelin. Yeah. Uh, Eugene Schieffelin's the guy that releases starlings in in Central Park. Ruined everything. Yes. Son of a bitch. Um, So... John James Audubon tried, luckily or unluckily for the Blue Jays, they became infested with mites on the way over. And all of them gradually died. He says the last one died after he dipped it in a tincture of tobacco. So he was trying to get rid of the mites by dipping in tobacco. I'm sure the bird just got a crazy buzz and then died from, like, the equivalent of inhaling, like, 100 cigarettes at once. He had, like, a Blue Jay arrhythmia. Just hit the floor. I love hearing facts about, like, 
early 20th century medicine. Yes, oh, yeah. it's know. always amazing. It's awesome. Oh, you guys will like this one. So um, John James Audubon, uh, kind of to go back to our little nest robber of the Blue Jay, he wrote, I have seen one go its rounds from one nest to another every day and suck the newly laid eggs of different bird species of the neighborhood with as much regularity and composure as a physician would call on his patients. <laughs> so that's a hell of an I- image. It's almost wow. like a doctor doing his rounds to house calls. And it's like the blue jay doing house <laughs> calls coming. to suck eggs. I don't know what he's saying about doctors there, but it's probably not flattering. Yeah. yeah. Man, he really hates blue jays. <laughs> I know whenever really I go visit my patients, I really try hard not to murder their young. <laughs> I really do. Sometimes it's. Hard I would to hope not since you're going to be an OBGYN. But, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely going to try and avoid that. <laughs> he does kind of give them a little bit of humanity, though. Um, he talks about one time where he uh, was observing a blue jay nest. The male blue jay kind of flew off, and the female was, um, you know, sitting there incubating the eggs when a snake showed up. And the snake proceeded to devour the female blue jay and the eggs. And the male blue jay returns to, you know, see this massacre and starts making kind of like mournful sounds. And uh, John Drew Zaldivine kind of felt sorry for him there. So, yeah. um, and I'm sure that, I mean, they mate for life. So, I, you know, I assume this blue jay was pretty distraught at that. Oh, yeah. Wow. Just kind of an aside. And this might be a little bit of a, dig- a digression. No, so. you're fine. Um, but I, I really specifically recall going to the aviary in Pittsburgh whenever I, w- I was going to school there. And um, there was a pair of, this is more just on the topic, I guess, of the mating for a life. But there's a pair of black neck stilts that were at the aviary named Skippy and Mrs. Skippy. And, and I mean, they were, they were old. You know, they, they lived their lives 20, 20 some years. And Mrs. Skippy sadly passed away. And then Skippy himself just refused to eat. I mean, he was crying all the time. He was ready to die. He was ill. So they took him down to the vet clinic in, in the bottom of the aviary. And they had a mural painted with all just all kinds of birds on the wall. And um, Skippy saw a little painting of a black neck still in the mural, ran over to it, and cuddled up next to it. Because he just missed Mrs. Skippy so much, apparently. Oh my god. So from then on, they just set up this little enclosure down in the vet clinic with, you know, his warm sand for his arthritic little feet and a little (laughs) blanket. And and Skippy lived down there in the vet clinic for the rest of his life. And I thought it was just one of the most heartwarming stories I'd ever heard. That is amazing, (laughs) Sammy. That's very sweet. A little soft spot in my heart for birds. Thank you for telling that story. That is amazing. This for you, Skippy. And I think that shows, like, I mean, we're not the only ones with emotions and stuff. Like, obviously, animals feel stuff. and Animals are incredible. Yeah. They, they, They continue to surprise me. Maybe that kind of leads us into talking about tool use and intelligence. Yeah, in yeah. Joe, Joe's been waiting for this part. We, yeah. We're still with you, I promise. Yes, Joe, we did not forget about you. Um, Who's Joe? Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Joe. What's up? <laughs> so, blue jays and tool use. So, we've always kind of known blue uh, corvids are intelligent birds. I mean, throughout. Uh, history, ancient peoples have noticed how smart like crows are and everything like that. But uh, while blue jays have never been uh, known to use tools in the wild, they have been observed using tools in the labs and not even trained to use them, spontaneously using them. Hmm. So uh, in this one lab, 
uh, there were Blue Jays and they were housed in a cage and they had newspapers underneath their cage, you know, to collect the droppings and everything. Mm -hmm. It makes it easy to clean it out and change it. And one scientist observed that the Blue Jays were tearing up pieces of the newspaper and then forming them into kind of this rake tool to reach food pellets that had fallen outside of the cage out of their reach. So what they would do is they would rip a piece of newspaper, then they would grasp it with their feet and twist and roll it. And then they would take it to their water bowl and they would dip it in the water bowl and then let it dry so that it would like harden up. And then they would, um, you know, hold it in their beak and use it to, like, rake in food pellets that were out of reach. That's incredible. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. And when they were presented with um, a feather, a piece of straw, a paper clip, or a plastic bag tie, they used them the same way they had been using the newspaper. So they were able to extrapolate, like, you know, that skill to different um tools also that were introduced to them it's not known like how it started so basically they saw one bird doing it they removed that bird and isolated him and like you know kind of observed and did experiments with them but then they realized like a bunch of other birds in the cage were doing the same thing so they're not sure who first did it yeah. if it was taught um uh, if it was just observed and learned, they're they're not really sure. But well, um, was was there reproducibility? Like, did, ha, have they done more experiments? Yes. Yeah. So, um, blue jays um, that's awesome. can observe other blue jays doing tasks and learn from them. So there was an experiment where um, blue jays were allowed to observe a blue jay that was trained, already trained to like find food in these wells. So like you know they had like these uh, grids kind of laid out. And, like, food was only in specific little wells. And so they had a blue jay that was already trained, like, knew where the food was. And, like, you know, the, it was like the wells were covered up in this grid. And so the blue jay would have to kind of know where to where go. Where it was. Um, okay. And then they let another blue jay observe this blue jay, um, you know, going about and feeding. Mm -hmm. And um, not only did that blue jay observe and learn what the other blue jay was doing, but also, after 64 days, he still they still retain the information. That's a so, long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is probably based on their um, behavior. Uh, blue jays will cache up to three to five thousand nuts in the summer and fall, and then retrieve them during the winter. Um, especially acorns, they love to do this with acorns. So they have kind of a great memory um, for things. And interestingly enough, in that experiment they did with the blue jay observe. Um, if the blue jay that was they were observing, um, you know, getting the food from the wells, mm -hmm. if he missed anything, the blue jays that were observing like knew enough, like they knew that's where they would go first because they're like, oh, there's food there. He he forgot to you know get it from that spot. So wow. like, yeah, they're not only able to like you know just memorize where food is, they also can see the behavior of another bird and like know, uh, you know, oh, they missed food, so I can go, I can go grab it. That's incredible. Wow. No. And they are really smart. That almost reminds me, too, of the behavior thing of them being able to mimic, mimic the cries of other birds yeah. in mm -hmm. order to, you know, warn other blue jays they might be in the area. Now, so. do they go around and collect shiny stuff like crows have, do? Or? So magpies are kind of known for doing that. Yeah. yeah. And then um, uh, crows are. I haven't seen anything about them collecting shiny stuff um, okay. like that. Yeah. And why do they not uh, use tools in the wild, do they think? That's interesting. May maybe just they're not, they don't have to. Like, I assume these to. birds that are in the cage, you know, like, 
One, they're probably getting bored. Mm -hmm. Um, Two, they're competing with each other for what food is available there. And so then when the food gets knocked out, they're just sitting there looking at the food that's out of reach. And they're like, all right, how are we going to get this? Versus in the wild, they're probably able to just like, you know, go fly to it easier or something like that. Like you said, they're pretty dominant. They can... They're not dominant. Maybe that's the wrong word, but they're but very good. I yeah, they're, I mean, yeah. they're good at getting food. You were they're strong little yeah. birds. Yeah, they're that's hardy. that's a better word for it. Yeah, they're kind of um, interesting at feeders because they are a aggressive bird. Um, they'll kind of use their size to knock other birds around. But interestingly, smaller birds like cardinals or morning doves um, will consistently dominate jays. <laughs> like they, I don't know if it's just because uh. you know they're native too, and like they just know how to like deal with jays. Because I've noticed um, jays will kind of push around starlings and especially house sparrows. They hate house sparrows, yeah. I mean, uh, which are invasive species. Yeah. As but. a franchise the too, bears. the cardinals have definitely dominated the jays when it comes to world series titles oh, <laughs> oh. I'm saying. so the sports world is mimicking the bird world that's mm. yeah maybe mm. <laughs> a little bit about their um calls and their vocalizations so the thing almost everyone knows about blue jays is they're like everyone talks about like their annoying call like often this will wake people up in the morning as they kind of do that jeer 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 call So that's what wakes me up in the morning. <laughs> they also do a series of growls, whistles, chatters. And then uh, we talked about how they'll imitate hawks. They do a yerp call, which is usually uttered uh, to close contacts like their mate. Their squeaky gate call is um really cool that's a that's an awesome call and they'll usually use that when they're kind of like in a suspicious circumstance where they're kind of like unsure about something And then they also do a whisper song. And it's unknown really why they do this. It's thought it might be a courtship call, but it's a very quiet, as the name implies, whisper song. Basically, what they do is they go, Hey, how you doing, little mama? Let me whisper in your ear. Exactly. That's what I was thinking of. That's exactly how I want Sarah. (laughs) That's awesome. But that whisper call, um, it's really unknown because most birds, when they're trying to, like, attract a mate, they'll do, like, a loud call, you know. But uh, this whisper call is really soft. So, I don't know, maybe it's, like, a more intimate um, call. Captive blue jays have been known to imitate human speech. That's really interesting. <laughs> You're good. What's going on? I apologize. There <laughs> is a, a weird fight. fight. No, there was also a weird play that just happened. This dude just laid on the puck. He like laid down on it. Oh, oh my god! Dang. You guys are lucky. Let's see. Have we talked about most things on this agenda here? I think Except so. Except for the fun facts. All right. So let's move on to some Blue Jay facts. Um, 
And then we'll wrap up with some myths and legends. Again, I'm very thankful to Chance and Sarah for being here talking yeah. with me. No, we love being here. here. This is fun. This is my first podcast experience. Mm-hmm. So hope I haven't annoyed you too much with random baseball facts. <laughs> I think our audience loves it. Yeah, <laughs> my mom so. does. Say say hi yeah. to my mom, Chance. Hi, Mrs. Janusik. <laughs> <laughs> the oldest Blue Jay um, was at least 26 years old in 11 months. Oh. It was banded in Newfoundland in 1989 and then found dead. It was actually caught in fishing gear in 2016. Apparently, lobster pots are like a big killer of blue jays for some reason. That's really interesting. Yeah. In the water? Yeah. Well, no, not in the water when they're um, stored outside of the water. Oh. Um, I think, honestly, I think the blue jays probably try to go in them to kind of like pick food off of yeah. them and then get trapped like the same way a lobster would. Yeah. Um, There's actually one case where they found uh, nine blue jays in a lobster pot and they were picking at the carcass of a 10th dead blue jay that was in there. It's a blue jay donner party. They're cannibalistic. Oh my goodness. Times is hard, man. Hey, I like to think that they're not, they're not, they're just survivors. They're survivors. Like, look at humans. Look at all the, Mm -hmm. like, we're smart, you know, usually we're just eating, you know. Uh, you know, food we can grow or chicken or McDonald's. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, for Dahmer party situation, yeah. like, we start eating each other. We we got that survival instinct. I don't judge the Dahmer party. Okay. <laughs> what happens on wow. the Oregon Trail stays on the Oregon Trail. <laughs> <laughs> you died of dysentery. <laughs> Always. Oh, every time. Every time. Um, interestingly enough, Blue Jay said their blue color, it does not come from a blue pigment. It, it's a structural color. So basically, like, the way that their feathers are arranged, the keratin within their feathers is arranged, is the light waves will bounce off of it and reflect blue wavelengths. Oh, wow. So that's why you see blue. I wonder if that's the case for the other jays then, too. Mm-hmm. Every, every blue bird, there's only, I think there's only one species of um, butterfly that actually produces blue pigment. Wow. Almost every single other blue animal, it is a structural color, not a pigment. It's a very rare kind of uh, pigment in nature. Very valuable. That's the one thing I know about blue. It was back in the 14th, 15th century, yeah, whatever. Kings loved blue because it's such a difficult pigment. The indigo and purple. To yeah, 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 you're right. Indigo. Yeah, yeah. It's very, I, I, I did have a. I, I had a fun fact that I found, and you probably already okay. might know this one. No, but you're good. I was reading that um, whenever blue jays um, are, are feeding, and they might pick up an ant, that they um, will take the ant and rub it on their feathers and shake it around because they're trying to get the formic acid out of the ants. Yeah. Because who knows? I mean, I bet that tastes nasty. Formic <laughs> acid. Well, no, actually, they're using the formic acid. Uh, we think that they do that to uh, help with mites, oh. to treat mites within their feathers. Obviously, John Even James better. Audubon had trouble with the mites when he tried to bring his jays over to England to release them. But um, several uh, bird species have been observed doing that, where they will roll in ant hills and kind of allow the ants, um, the fire ants, to kind of do their formic acid on them. And it's thought that they're kind of doing a delousing treatment yeah. doing that. Yeah. Nature's lice treatment. (laughs) Um, I found a cool case in 1990 in Tampa, Florida. There was a scientist that was observing a fish crow nest. And then he observed while he was looking at it, a fledgling blue jay 
uh, not ready to leave the nest yet, hopped up to the fish crow nest and kind of just nestled in there among the fish crow young. And the fish crows like adopted it and started feeding it and everything. Oh, wow. Yeah. Freeloader. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I guess he was kind of really, it was kind of like a cousin, I guess, like yeah. distant yeah, cousin coming. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was a case where there was a hybrid green jay and blue jay. Um, oh. And these are separated by like, I don't know, 10 million years of evolution. And they were both captive birds. So, you know, they were kind of forced to, yeah. you know, kind of mm-hmm. mate. This was in 1977 in Fort Worth, Texas. I guess they have nothing better to do in Fort Worth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think we have any. Texas. <laughs> yeah. Sorry if you're from Texas, but not really. <laughs> oh. um, another fun fact is John James Audubon writes about how in the South, um, the blue jay was known for eating farmer's seed and was especially hated in Louisiana. And apparently planters would take corn and soak it in arsenic and then throw it out in their fields. Oh. And John Rizaldabond writes, in consequence of which, many jays are found dead about the fields and gardens. Oh my. I bet it so, killed a lot of stuff, though. Yeah, I know. Like, what Dead if your kid girls. goes out and picks up a yeah. grain of corn? Like, yeah, that's, oh, well, yeah. one less mouth to feed. <laughs> <laughs> it seems a little drastic. Yeah, I know. Wow. Why did man? He really hates blue jays. Like <laughs> well, I just, John Audubon wouldn't have done that. I hope not. I don't think so. I'm sure. Uh, so John James Audubon is like known for almost every bird. Like he shot and ate it. Um, I didn't see oh. him describe how a blue jay tasted though, but I'm sure he ate one. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um. Anything before we move on to missing legends? Any? I don't know. Anything you thought was. Change your view of Blue Jays or you thought it was cool or I don't know. Hmm. Fact, fun fact of the show. I'd have to say, I I mean, I just didn't know Blue Jays were as smart as they are. Yeah. I, that I really enjoyed hearing about the situation where they had to get their feed from outside of the cage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's very interesting. Um, you know, I, I mean, I don't know a lot about birds. The fact that they're related to crows um but yeah no i've really enjoyed this it's been a lot of fun so yeah i'm just glad to have learned anything from this well thanks yeah yeah, right. yeah and i'm just honestly really fascinated by their just the diversity in their language yeah there is just so much and um as someone who i i worked in an animal behavior lab in college there's just so much that we don't know about how animals kind of communicate with each other mm-hmm. and you know how the group dynamics and um, you know, work within their environment and how the individual and, you know, what they're like might impact the group's success. You know, it's, uh, it's really incredible. Yeah. It's tough. There's a lot of limitations when it comes to that. So there's a lot of good research to come, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. One of the uh, studies I read, it was this guy who like pretty much spent his whole summer kind of sitting out listening to Blue Jays and you know, he kind of detected 42 different calls, but then he said, you know, there was so much variation with those yeah. different, like they almost had 42 different kind of words, I guess you would say, but they could use them in a lot of different ways. So, um, like forming sentences. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, right. So it definitely makes it more fun to kind of listen to blue jays out in your yard. They're not just annoying. They're yeah. talking. <laughs> All right. And, and, and I didn't read anything about Audubon eating the birds. But apparently I see an article from the Bangor Daily News that's titled, Got a Recipe for Blue Jay Stew? They should be ripe for eating. So apparently some people were doing it, <laughs> eating the Blue Jays. 
Just like uh, the Orioles will this fall. <laughs> Send me that recipe later. Oh. <laughs> um, all right. Let's wrap up with some missing legends because it's getting very past our bedtime right let's, now. Let's do it. <laughs> um, so Blue Jays were important to many Native American tribes. I mean, they're very conspicuous. Um, they also, Blue Jays, I love Blue Jays in the forest because if I hear Blue Jays freaking out, I know there's some kind of animal. There's a fox. There's a black rat snake. There's a hawk. So you can use them to uh, find predators. You can also use them to find people too. Blue Jays will warn you, you know, if there's someone else on the trail. The Salish people of the Pacific Northwest um, had kind of a specific ritual performed around the Blue Jay. Um, it, they would perform these spirit dances every year in like December and January. And the whole tribe in the village would perform these dances. It was highly structured. And these were to uh, connect with uh, the spirits of their ancestors, with animal spirits, also to kind of, you know, bring in a good spring um, in the winter, everything like that. However, since these were highly structured, uh, there needed to be like rules about it and there were a lot of taboos around it. But you can't really enforce these taboos like if you're part of the dance, you know, because you're concentrated on doing the dance. Yeah. So what would happen is there would be um, people within the tribe that would adopt the form of a blue jay and what they would do is they would remove all their clothing they would darken their bodies with soot and then they would live like blue jays they would literally they would not talk they wouldn't speak you know human tongue to I anyone mean, that wouldn't be that bad if you got to eat eggs all the time yeah. <laughs> sorry I'm kidding. They, they, they would live on food scraps and they would patrol the grounds outside the dance house even they would perch on the rafter inside the building and if they saw anyone breaking the rules they would jump down and then like you know discipline them and then you know go back up they would literally <laughs> act like birds and they would get so um like into this role that they would forcibly have to be made to break it like the rest of the tribe would have to kind of take them and hold them down and perform a ritual to kind of turn them back into a human so and cool. yeah i thought that was that was really cool well, and which tribes did you say the solish people of the pacific northwest wow yeah and uh, so they kind of captured this spirit of like a blue jay being like a wild, untamable, impervious to the elements, uh, very smart and wily and cunning. Uh, I thought that was really awesome. So I have a story by the um, Akomawi tribe. They're centered around the Pitt River in California. This one is called Blue Jay, Lizard, and the Grizzly Bears. Oh, boy. And so in this story, there are five grizzly bears that live in a hut. And they live near Lizard and Blue Jay's hut. Um, Lizard and Blue Jay are like roommates. Mm -hmm. um, the grizzlies never have food. They're super lazy. And what they do is they keep going to Blue Jay and they beg him for food. Oh. Uh, Blue Jay does isn't like a super good character in the story. But anyway, they keep going to Blue Jay and they beg him for food. And Blue Jay is kind of a pushover. So he keeps giving him food. And he keeps giving him food until all of Blue Jay and Lizard's food is gone. Now, luckily, Lizard is, like, smart and hid away 10 salmon, and so that helps them survive. The Grizzlies have all this food, and they're just, like, feasting through the winter while Lizard and Blue Jay are just kind of starving. And Blue Jay gets so weak, he's just laying there dying, and so Lizard comes up with a plan. Lizard puts out the fire in their hut, closes up their smoke hole, and takes his knife and sneaks to the Grizzlies' house. The Grizzlies are sleeping, and Lizard... 
um, sees all their stored food, sees their fat bellies, and he gets really angry. So he crawls up the ass of one of the bears. Oh, oh my god. Whoa! <laughs> this took a turn. Wow. <laughs> and he crawls all the way up and he cuts out the bear's heart. Oh my god. That's not how anatomy works. <laughs> <laughs> then he comes back out the way he came in. Um, the bear's dead, obviously. Yeah. Then he skins the grizzly cooks and eats its liver, and then um, crawls up a pole out of the house um, so he'll leave no footprints, and he takes all the parts of the grizzly with him. Um, and he brings it back to the Blue Jay. He also brings back, like, a basket of acorns for the Blue Jay, because, of course, Blue Jays yeah. love acorns. Wow. So, He's yeah, really a friend. He yeah. plays for keeps, man. Yeah, yeah. Liz- Lizard is, like, the badass of the story. And Blue Jay just kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, Blue Jay gr- uh, gets, you know, a little stronger. And each night, Lizard goes back. And uh, the Grizzlies have no idea what's going on, because there's no tracks leading out of their hut. So they're like, oh... I don't know. I guess I'll just <laughs> the, sleep again. Yeah, I guess I'll just go to sleep again. So the lizard keeps coming back every night, crawling up another ass. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine that last oh, grizzly bear wow. in there just like, oh, no one else is here. <laughs> guess I'll die. Yeah. <laughs> um, but And uh, the story ends, and that's how Blue Jay and Lizard survived the winter. Well. Wow. I... Was not expecting that to go. What even that... is the moral of that? Yeah, don't, I don't know. Don't mess with blue jays. Don't mess with lizards. Don't mess yeah. with lizards. <laughs> Apparently, lizards will crawl up your ass and cut your heart out. <laughs> wow. Um, and then uh, my final myth I want to tell is um, I, I really like because um, a lot of I do a lot of you know native birds to North America and usually I always tell Native American legends. This is actually a legend um, that comes from. African-American slaves and sharecroppers um, who, you know, they had their own folk tales, probably like incorporated in a lot of um, African legends, too, um, with uh, uh, American wildlife around them. So this one comes from 1898. It comes from an issue of The Southern Workmen, uh, which was published in Hampton, VA. Um, Shout out 757. Um, (laughs) It records a tale of how the Jays saved their souls. Every Friday... The Blue Jay goes to hell to carry sand down for the devil to use to burn souls with. The Jay loved to see souls jump and burn. That's a direct quote. (laughs) The devil makes a deal with the Jay and says that if he keeps bringing down sand, then the devil won't torment the Jay's family when they go to hell. So the devil kind of tells them, like, yeah, you're, you're going to hell. This kind of freaks the Jay out, so the Jay thinks he can trick the devil. Um, he gets the other Jays together, and he gets them to bring down water to hell when he goes down with the sand. And they pour the water on the fires of hell um, to try to put the fires out before they go to hell themselves so that they won't get burned. The devil catches on, and he sends his two sons to catch up with the Jays uh, when they're bringing the water down into hell. And they kind of catch the Jays in the act, and they ask them why they're bringing the water down. And the Jays go... It's for us to drink while we watch people burn. <laughs> <laughs> Casual. It's like a, a nice Miller light here while I'm watching the football game. No, we're just going to have some water while we well, watch people burn. Miller light, water, same thing. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, who am I kidding? <laughs> um, the devil knows they're lying because it's the devil. Yeah. Um, and he catches the Jays and cuts off their wings. And then they begin to cry, Jay, 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 which I guess is like the origin of why oh. they do that, like, 
you know, call that they do. Um, then the devil says he's going to burn them next. Um, but the old Jay, the one that was originally bringing the sand down, hatches a plan. Ha ha, pun. Um, <laughs> uh, he gets all the other Jays together, and the next time the devil comes to, you know, take him down to burn him in the fires of hell, all the Jays jump up and scratch the devil's face, blinding him. The Jays then make their way back home and say, We never want to go to hell again. Now every Friday they go on a picnic instead of going to hell. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Pro tip, go on a picnic, don't go to hell. No. No. What are you doing favors for the devil? Never works. I, I like I like that they were portrayed as clever though. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely like uh, wild they're uh yeah. They definitely have like an evil tint to them. I think like being like an animal that's like intelligent, sometimes people kind of pin like evilness on you. Maybe there's some kind of anxiety over just the animals holding these like you know, normal powers, I guess you could say, that are normally reserved for humans. You know, there's just kind of something unsettling about seeing human behavior in something other than a human. Yeah. Makes, yeah. makes you a little suspicious. Yeah. yeah. And I, I really wonder if this story um, has, I'm sure it has elements of either like um, Caribbean or like um, African like folk tales mixed in with kind of the, you know, Christian values that are kind of being forced upon these you know, African-American yeah. slaves and sharecroppers and everything. Um, and so that's kind of probably, you know, factors into the evolution of the story because it's a very weird story. Yeah. Both of those were... Well, really weird stories. No, actually, the first one was normal. Yeah. Let's be... No. I mean, they were so there's weird. A, a lot of fables are just yeah. really messed I, up. I definitely picked the weirdest ones, too. There's kind of some more benign ones about oh, Jays, man. but, you know, I'm like, I'm going to tell the two. I'm going to tell the one about crawling up a bear's ass and the one about, um, you know, going to hell. Yeah, they were yeah. awesome. I actually yeah. really enjoyed we both of those. could do a whole episode though. on just, like, bird fables, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, that would be cool. Yeah. yeah. That would be a really cool episode. Well, Dirty Bird listeners, let me know if you want an episode just on bird fables. I'll find the weirdest ones involving um, crawling up all orifices. So. <laughs> <laughs> what will we crawl up next? You have to listen to find out. Tune in next month <laughs> to find <laughs> <laughs> out since I'm so bad about putting out these episodes. But anyway, thank you so much, Chance and Sarah, for yeah, joining me on yeah. this. This was it's really fun. Mm-hmm. It was Thanks awesome. I hope you all listen, enjoyed listening to our whatever this is. <laughs> <laughs> to our podcast. And as always, stay dirty, my birdies. Dirty Bird Podcast is brought to you by me, John, with our rotating panel of guests and co-hosts. Thanks for being on the show, guys. I really appreciate it. Our intro music is by Ricky Pistone, a.k.a. Dick Piston. And our outro music is by the Sidewalk Slammers. Check them out wherever you get your music. And also, check out our theme song music video on YouTube. Our cover art is done by my beautiful fiancé, Lauren. Thanks for listening. Send any listener mail to dirtybirdpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.